Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. You can always tell the weather by the size of the service when the sun comes out. Sort of like California, but the opposite. If it rains, like three drops, no one goes. Here it's like, is the sun really going to be here tomorrow? We don't know that. We do not know that. We're glad that you're with us. We've been in a series uh, called Becoming. And we're heading towards the end of that series in the next couple weeks. But we've been looking at what does it mean that you and I are being formed into the image of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And what does that look like together as collectively a community is being formed together? And what we are going after is the common language and common understanding so that as we're on this journey together, we help and encourage one another as we seek to understand what God's doing in our life. We looked at the fact that most of us subconsciously sort of uh, judge ourselves on a scale of 1 to 10. and 10 meaning we're close to God and 1 we're far away. When in reality, if you have trusted Christ and put your faith in Christ, then you are united with Christ by the Spirit. You're as close to Him at the core of your being as you can get, and yet there are all these different aspects of our personality and our personhood. Some are closer to being conformed to Christ's image, and some are way out in the darkness. And we're in this process by which He is bringing all the different aspects of our personhood and our character and our personality closer to the flames of His love and thereby purifying them. We looked at how on this journey many times we will get stuck on the spiritual journey. And the reality is the things that we were doing that, that, uh, that once sort of led us into intimacy with Christ are no longer working. And so we need to go back to go forward. We need to face our past, our sufferings, the suffering we caused, our woundedness in the places we've wounded others. And we need to learn the grace of lament and repentance and forgiveness. To be able to grieve losses that are real and serious. And so we looked at what does it mean to practice lament. We looked at the daily rhythms of the practices from generosity to hospitality to hearing and obeying the Word and Spirit to Sabbath and celebration to vocation and calling, and how praying the Psalms is a way that we can sort of account for all these aspects of our life and the Psalms give us words to bring those things before God. We looked at what it means to press on to maturity over the last few weeks, that God isn't content with just keeping us where we are, but He desires that not only we press on into maturity in Christ, but also that we as a whole community press on to maturity in Christ. In the, in the next couple of weeks, I want to look at some of the spiritual pathways that are 
available to us that throughout the church's history have been these streams through which the Spirit has moved and worked. The streams that have come through different movements of God throughout the church. And one of the streams we're going to look at today is the stream of the contemplative life. What does it mean for you and I to live a life of contemplation? Some of you have, have definition for that word. Others of you may not. But it really has a rich history with God's people. And the symbol or the imagery of contemplation is the desert. It's the barren place. It's the place where we're still and we're quiet and we're paying attention to God and to ourselves and to what God has to say. And so throughout the Scriptures, we see the desert factor in prominently to major movements of God throughout history with Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Zephorah and David and Abigail. We see it with John the Baptist and we see it with Jesus. We see it with Paul. We see early on in the church's history the desert mothers and the desert fathers, people who left sort of the the Babylonianness of Rome and sought to uh, to have a more simple and purified life, and they moved out to the desert. And the contemplative tradition was born in that place. And so today what I want us to look at is what role the desert plays, this contemplative path plays, both as symbol for us and as geography. We retreat often to nature. Uh, Lots of people are out there in nature today. They should have come here first. I was going to set them up for like having a great day, but they're on their own. I get it. <laughs> These contemplative habits that mimic the desert experience. So for some, we will retreat into the, the wild. But there's other ways of Sabbath, of disconnecting, of silence, of solitude, fasting, Taking things away so that we can be attentive that, that sort of mimic the desert experience. And there's also ways to just get away and have a silent retreat. To take a day where you get away from everything and you're quiet before God. And so we, we want to look at what this pathway of contemplation does. What does it do in our soul? Is it... Is it just for the spiritual gurus that go away and come back like Moses off the mountain with this Word of God? Is it really for just normal you and me? And I want to suggest to you that it is for us. And I want us to walk through that. So we'll start in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Moses is speaking to the men and women and the children and the people of God who have just spent 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses is speaking to them before he passes away and they enter the promised land. And he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep His commands, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither, neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
The desert matters because you and I have been given within this rich tradition of Moses, Jesus, and the church fathers a, a holistic spirituality. Not a, a place where we get away for some ecstatic experience. But we have been given a gospel of flesh and spirit, of body and blood, of the incarnation of God in the flesh in our own humanity. So physicality matters. Terrain affects the spirit. Geography is place and part of the soul work that the Holy Spirit is doing. And the desert creates this experience of being resourceless. And so Moses tells them that, that in the barrenness of that wilderness, there is this physicality that showed up in you. Hunger. You were thirsty. You were hungry. You didn't have uh, the normal means by which you just went shopping. And in that place of hunger, there was a testing that took place in your heart. As our body begins to rumble, to long, to hunger, to thirst, it is connected, our response to that is connected to whether or not we have faith, whether or not we're going to trust God. Now, um, I don't like the fact that God tests us. I, I, I wish that He would just trust me, that I'm all in, that I love Him more than anything else in the world, that we're totally good, because uh, I communicate this to Him. But instead, He wants to test that, and the problem is, I never pass those tests. I always find there is something else that I'm longing for. I want to be quick to get rid of discomfort, quick to get rid of the resourcelessness of the wilderness. And you and I live in a day and age where we can be connected, we can be on, we can have everything. I mean, you can buy it on an app and it's delivered to your door that day. In a worst case scenario, it's tomorrow, right? I mean, as you practice a life of this, our hearts are always already bent to God-likeness. We believe that we're God. We believe we're in control. We believe that we're in charge. And even if cognitively we're like, no, 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 that's not true. God is God. Our practice starts to create this fundamental thing in our heart that says we can take care of our own needs. We have everything we need. We don't really need God. In the desert place, what we really, what our heart is really connected to, it bubbles up to the surface. To see what was in your heart. Whether or not you would trust God and obey Him. When we get away to the desert, when we get away either through restricting ourselves and things like solitude and fasting or taking a day and just spending it in the quiet on a hike in the gorge, we quickly learn that there are other things going on here, things I don't normally look at, things I don't normally pay attention to because I'm always on. 
I'm always watching something, reading something, listening to something. I like having access to all things at all times. And then you get lost in the woods for 20 minutes, and you're like, what? I don't have cell coverage. Like, no cell coverage? Right? Now, that's, that is the desert, right? That is like the middle of the Sahara at that point. Just... I had an app for how to survive in the desert, but I don't have cell coverage. It doesn't, it's not working. And so the desert matters because we are creatures in God's creation. The other picture that we have is of David in the Psalms. And David spent much of his life running from Saul, and he hid in this sort of very barren region. And they hid in caves. It was, it was uh, very desert-like. And, and as he writes these psalms, he begins to connect with his physical and his spiritual thirsting. And he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek You. I thirst for You. My whole being longs for You. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. The barrenness of the desert that David was in was creating a physical experience. He's thirsty. There isn't water. And it causes him to step back and to go, God, who who do I belong to? Who am I ultimately trusting in? What does my heart ultimately want? The barrenness of desert places reveals our created dependence. We need. We need. My son, uh, who is my middle son, often he'll get sort of super busy and he'll take off, just go on a hike and be like, I'm going on a hike. I'm like, well, let me know where you're going. He goes, I'm going uh, on a hike. I'm like, I'm looking for a little more specificness maybe uh like the gorge or whatever uh but i'm like take water pack a lunch find a compass i don't think we own one but if you you know find one somewhere don't get lost uh there won't be cell coverage and he could care less about those things as a parent you're like oh no we gotta we gotta look out because the wilderness is wild we see news Reels of people who've gotten lost, people who get hurt. We are in a new world in this wild wilderness, this desert, one that's dangerous. It's got a lack of resources. There's no, there's no way to contact anybody when you're out in there. And so in that space, though, we become present to ourselves and present to our needs. These are needs we don't normally notice. We're not God, it turns out. We're creatures. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need warmth. Or else things don't go well. And it's in this place, this clutter-free environment that we become present to God. It's quiet. It's isolated. It's lonely, but in a good way. And we ask ourselves the question, what is it that we're actually longing for? If we ask ourselves that right now, most of us would come up maybe with an answer, but we really wouldn't know. You can't find out what you're longing for until you get away, until you strip it down, until there's a little bit of discomfort. 
until you connect with your creatureliness. What does my soul long for? What does my soul thirst for? And is it God? The desert helps us get present to that answer. Elijah, another one of God's prophets in the book of 1 Kings, and he's on the run and he's out in the desert on this mountain. And the Lord says to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then this great and powerful wind tears through the mountains, shattering apart the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there's an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave because the Lord was in the still small voice. The desert helps us to see what is actually there, both in us and in God. We are so accustomed to the spectacle, right? Did you see that video? Did you watch that show? Did you see, did you hear the news? And the city and the world that we're in, it produces all kinds of spectacle. And we just begin to assume that God is always in the spectacle. But the reality is He's not. God speaks in the still, small voice. And the desert is there to help us See what is actually there, both in us and in God. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the viral video. He's not in the latest blog. He's in this still, small voice. This week we uh, pulled the pastors away for a couple days and we were out in Bend just praying and, and being together and praying for you and and one of the things about the place that we were at is it was, it was way out. It was out past Ben. And so everyone made mention at night, you got to come out and see the stars. And you'd walk out there, and it was just incredible. There's so many stars. It was clear night, and we had this great view, and it just billions of stars. And the reality is the stars, those same stars are here. It's not like the stars are just geographically denser in Bend. Like in Portland, there's like six stars, and then it just gets really, they all ball up right around Bend. It's not how it works. It's just, but there is a lot of light pollution in Portland. We don't see because we have so much that's going on in front of us, and so we can't, we can't see all that's there. The desert helps us do that in our own lives. We have a lot going on, a lot of noise, a lot of earthquake, fire, and flood, a lot of distraction, but God's not in the noise. He's not in the spectacle. He's in this still, small voice. And the contemplative path calls us to a way of listening, to silence, to solitude, to contemplation, to this desert space where we can hear that voice and not mistake it for all the noise around us. 
John the Baptist, as we get to the New Testament, it begins with a call to go out to the wilderness to see John. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. When people went out to meet John, John's message was repent, metanoia. It's a Greek word, it means to turn around, that there's something coming called the kingdom. But the direction you're going, you're going to miss it. So we're going to need to turn inwardly, spiritually, turn towards the kingdom. It's appropriate that he's in the desert doing this, because the desert asks us, who we are when we're stripped down without our stuff, without our people, without our titles, our roles. Who are we when we're just there by ourselves in that space? And who is this God who sustains us in all that's going on out here? When I, the first time I sort of experienced the contemplative path, I was 24 and I... Uh, told Jeannie I'm going away, I'm going on a, I think it was two nights of solitude up to this monastery by Lewis and Clark. And I walked in and it's this very beautiful, I forget the name of it now, it's a beautiful monastery. And the gates closed behind me and I thought, oh no. Like, what am I going to do here? And I, I... prayed and I read my Bible and I felt like I did a lot of that and three hours went by and I was like I am done and I left and I was like I don't I I," and across the way was Lewis and Clark and I was in a coffee shop like three hours in I felt great I felt like man I was way out there across the street and it was three whole hours but here there's there's youth and energy and ideas and over there it was just seemed so sad and depressing and quiet and I wanted to be where the action was uh, so in my mind I create this great thing like I am about the world and people and evangelism I'm not going to go hide behind you know the walls there and do whatever those people are doing but in reality I was terrified terrified to be stripped down terrified to be me before God and no one else, terrified to not be clinging to my people and my stuff and my role or whatever it is and just be Rick before God. Would he sustain me? Would he be enough? I wanted to be where the energy, the distraction was. John the Baptist invites us to turn from that when you experience it. When you, when you feel it, you say, no, 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 I'm not. I'm going to repent now. I want to stay here. I want to I see God. I want to hear God. I'm not going to run away. And it's okay if you leave after three hours. Next time, try to, try to stick it out for 3.15. Right? Just try to get more adept at this space. Um, because there's a lot here that God wants for us. 
Jesus as well goes out to the desert. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't like the fact that the devil is in the wilderness, right? In my imagination, the contemplative path is a path where it's me and God, and it's like uh, some kind of ecstatic, monkey, you know, really spiritual thing. But this says, yeah, and Satan's there too, which is like, man, that just bums me out. But the truth is, the early mothers and fathers of church found this out. They they fled Rome. They thought Rome is just a, a cesspool of sin and demons, and we're going to go out to the desert, and we're going to be purified in that place, and we're going to practice a holy way of life. And it didn't take them long to learn that the desert has its own demons, like pride, self-deception. They had a community of simplicity, but there was still arrogance and competition between people. You find this. I usually try to get away for a day or two a year. And, and I always have this fantasy that I'm going to go away, and within a day, now that I'm you know, beyond 24, I can, I can stick it out for a whole 24 hours. But I, but I think I'm going to come back like it's immediately going to be super spiritual. I'm going to be like Moses on the mountain. Thus saith the Lord, right? Only I get out there and all I am is tempted to do everything else but pay attention to God. And I'm not really in the wilderness. I'm probably in a motel room on the beach. It's like I'm starving. <laughs> I'm thirsty. Go to the kitchen. It's right there, right? It's not, I'm not John the Baptist. But there is temptation there that gets revealed. And and what is revealed in that temptation is that this temptation is coming from inside of me. I want to blame the noise. I want to blame the clutter. All that stuff, all the things I have to do, all the attention that's demanded of me. I can't be close to God because of all that, but in actuality, it's ourselves. And we're absorbed by self. And these contemplative spaces, these desert spaces, keeps keeps showing us that it's really our self because it keeps getting in the way out here in the desert. And we know it's our self because it's the only other thing here. It's either I'm getting in the way or God, and I know He's not in the way. And so when we think about silent retreats or being quiet or taking time away, but what if we can push through that, if we can stay in it, if we can repent and we can obey, as Jesus, as Jesus fights off the enemy and fulfills what Israel couldn't do in the desert, if we can trust Jesus in that space, then we learn to detach for a moment. We learn to be indifferent about our compulsions. We learn a freedom from ourselves and a freedom from stuff. And there's a faith response to the Word of God. Faith like Mary gave. Be it done unto me, Lord, according to your will. 
The desert reveals our temptations. And we're allowed to repent and to trust God in that place. The Apostle Paul also spent time in the desert. Paul was a Pharisee who had spent his whole life training to be a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament inside out. He knew how to obey the commandments and live a righteous life. And it says this, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, He had a radical conversion on Damascus Road, fell off his horse, saw Jesus. The Son was revealed in him and he said, so I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. And so Paul goes away for three years and The Holy Spirit is using all this stuff that He knows in this encounter with the living Christ to weave together what is this Gospel to the Gentiles? This Gospel that you and I, hundreds of years later, are set free by faith in Christ. But the desert is a place that points out both our significance and our insignificance. We're small, we're unimportant. There's this large creation that envelops us. And yet at the same time, we matter to the One who created it. And the matter to the One who created us. He's present here. He loves us. He desires us. He speaks to us. He dwells with us. If we were to take an hour and just pay attention to all the life that's taking place in this room around this block, we would be amazed from, from the flowers to the insects to the birds, the stories that are woven into your life currently, your past, your present, your future, the interconnectedness. There's so much going on that our life seems so insignificant. And yet we are significant. Like Paul, included in God's purposes. And when we get away, the desert points out that significant insignificance. God is present. He loves us. He desires us. He speaks to us. He dwells with us. And He's going to do something in us and through us. And we want to get in on it. In the barren place, the contemplative place, the place of listening. This is where we hear and we understand. And we take next steps. The desert is a tutor of faith. It shows us what really matters, right? It shows us what's really going on, like the stars in Bend versus the stars in Portland. What's really here when the noise is taken away? It shows us that we can't live on bread alone, that the spectacle of the city, it's not where freedom Lies. God is speaking in this still small voice. And the Word of God is richer and slower and it's aimed at the heart in these desert places. And so it's part of your spiritual practice. It's part of this becoming. I pray that you will go into the desert. That you will Sabbath. It's one of our practices here. That we would really unplug and be present to one another, that we'd 
play and we'd pray and we'd enjoy God's creation. That you'd practice silence and fasting and listening and praying. That you'd create space for solitude. These are all pathways to the desert, even while we're here in the midst of the city. God wants to use the terrain that we live in to shape our souls, and so He invites you, come away, come out of the crowd, go into this lonely place of prayer, this isolated place. Come away with Me, Jesus says to the disciples. And He invites you, come away with Me. Nature, desert, retreats. We live in a place that is filled with such beautiful places. Take that break. Detox from yourself, from your God-likeness that is trying to control the world. Get in touch with your creatureliness of hunger and thirst, your smallness, your insignificance. Move out of urgency and from the illusion that you are a God. And sit as a creature within this wild creation and meet with your Creator who is longing to be with you. And the results of this, not just for my personal experience and others, but for the church throughout history, is a heart that is full of faith. Like Jacob who wrestled the angel in the desert, but his response as he walked away was, I saw God face to face. I encountered the living God. And so we go to the desert, symbolically and literally, to see God in a way that we go to the desert to see the stars. And our hearts get purified like the night sky is purified from the pollution of city lights. And we see in a way that we could never see anywhere else. We see God. And we contemplate His face. And we repent of parts of ourselves that we didn't realize were getting in the way and disrupting our view of God. The desert is a full of new creation. Not ecstasy, not some otherworldly experience, but incarnational reality. Flesh and spirit, God with us. The desert is a revealer of important things. And we need to see about what God is doing and what God wants us to see about ourselves. As we come to this table in a few minutes, this table is a picture of that incarnational reality of the God who left the richness and the glory of heaven and comes into the abandonment of this broken earth who walks in the desert for us and takes our pain, our suffering, and our sin so that you and I can be brought from the desert into the riches of His lavish grace. This bread and wine that you eat and you chew and you drink and you digest is all part of this very enfleshed experience, but it's also a means of grace where our soul gets enriched and cleansed and satisfied. And so God is inviting us into this place, to this incarnational place where we keep becoming through His love and His mercy. Another thing that as we went away as pastors that struck me is how 
you know, as a church uh, with a couple campuses, lots of people, lots of pastors, but how deeply uh, the pastors and leaders here at Imago love you, love this church, and love this city. And one of the things that's true, I think, about Portland, as we've been here for 20 years, is Portland is a city where some of you come and you stay, and some of you are here for a while, and then you leave. And, and so some of you have been here for well over 10 years. Some of you have been here for well over 10 times. And, and we're just that kind of congregation. And so what we want to do is understand you better and know you better so that we can serve you better. And we've created a survey, a survey that some sister churches of ours have used that's really, really helpful. Uh, a couple things about this survey. First, it's totally anonymous. So we can't mine your data. We can't get any of that information. But it will give us a picture of who we are, which is really important. It's also important that all of you participate because it's not going to be enough if 10% of you participate and we're like, this is who we are, and there's 90% of you going, no, we're not. We all need to do this. And if you're a family, I would ask that both, both of you participate, take the survey independently. The, the survey does ask some important questions and some serious questions. And so we hope you'll answer them honestly because the more honest you are, the more helps us, helps us to better serve you and serve this community. I guess you could lie on a church survey. It's weird, but you could. Um, so as honest as you can be, uh, and also it only takes about 10 minutes, okay? So if you could pull away to that desert space today for 10 minutes and take a survey... That's uh, really, oh, I just lost the metaphor, the whole illustration. <laughs> Pull away after this, then you can go on a walk or something with Jesus. But the, the more of us that fill it out, the more accurate it would be. So I'd ask that you take that time. If you're on our email list, it'll be in your inbox when you get home. Um, it's also going to be on the front page of our website social media, the Imago app, it's, uh, the link is on the bulletin there, and if you don't have any access to the online form, there are physical copies in the back that you could grab and fill out for us and help us with that. So it really, the heart behind it isn't control or anything weird, it's just who are we and how are we to come together and serve one another and serve God together, and so I, I hope you'll take advantage of that. As we come to this table this morning, I just ask us to, to bow our heads and to pray for a minute as we contemplate this God who is with us. Father, thank you for being a God that is so counterintuitive to, I think, the God we want you to be at times. The God who created the, the world and all that is in it. The God who dwells with us as our rock and our shield and our salvation. The God who is a spring of living water in the desert places. And Father, I thank You for the history of Your people and the contemplative stream and tradition that has brought so many to new places of faith and deeper places of faith. 
who is who have led us in experiencing you and experiencing healing in ways that that many have never thought possible. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here, God, that that we would incorporate these invitations to come away and to be with you. Whether that's through fasting or sabbathing or silent or just leaving and going away into the wild, God. We want to know you better. We want to keep becoming as a people, as a family of faith. We want you to continue to draw us closer to the depth of who we are, united with Christ by your Spirit. So grant us courage, God. Courage to seek you, that we might find you and be satisfied with the depths of who we are. We thank you, our God, who loves to be found and reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.